Okay. Hi guys, welcome back to my channel. My name is Lynette at the Tourism Channel where we talk about tourism, travel and all those amazing things. So here we are at CK Apartments in Intinda. CK Spaces offers uh, apartment spaces, they offer office spaces in Kampala, you know, for one day, two days, two weeks services. Uh, at, here we are at the apartments in Intinda, they are two bedroom apartments, they offer laundry services, there is internet, there is DSTV service, there is ample parking, there is security and you can get all these at only 150,000 for 24 hours and if you want a longer term arrangement, there are negotiations that can be made. Yeah, so I'll be putting the details in the description box but you can check them out at CK Spaces on their different social media platforms. Yeah, so if you want to subscribe to my channel, subscribe over there. But let's dive into this today's video that like I've seen from the title. We are hosting Mr. Paul, the founder and the country director. Co-founder. <laughs> Co-founder. Co-founder and president of Montesquieu as Yeah, president. Mr. President, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So hi, Paul. Please introduce yourself further, who you are, what you do and everything. And you dive right in. Uh, it's all of these very long introductions on Paul. The co-founder and uh, president of Mountain Slayers Uganda. Mountain Slayers Uganda is a hiking club uh, that exists primarily to encourage Ugandans to go out into the wild and enjoy our country. In brief, that's who we are. You know you can keep your hands down and be free and be and <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Paul, Lumala, which tribe is that? If you don't mind asking. Um, from around Central Region in Masaka. Oh. So you're a Muganda. Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. <laughs> My viewers know what we're talking about. Yes, so Paul, yeah. you're the president of the Mountain Slayers, yeah. a club for Ugandans, who, hikers, you know? Yes. You hike mountains, you hike hills, you hike rocks, and personally... Flats, yeah. even, <laughs> Everything. And personally, I, I'm hosting you today because I'm in the tourism industry, and we are, the tourism industry and tourism players are looking at how do we boost domestic tourism, you know. There are companies which sell domestic tourism specifically, but I was excited when I found a club of Ugandans who are doing hiking, which predominantly I like to believe is a tourism service or product, you know. So uh, if you don't mind, I would like you to share with me, and you're not a tourism personnel, he's not in tourism, like professionally, he's, his background is in tourism. So, if you don't mind, share with our viewers your history. How did you come here? Yeah. How has the journey been? And your plans? Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah. I'll talk straight to them. Yes. So, uh, Mountain Slayers Uganda mm. started in 2015. But the motivation for the formation of the club goes a little further back. Mm. Uh, in around, I think, 2012, a friend and colleague of mine at the office, mm. And to be honest, it's, it's the first time I'd seen a gun and go to the mountains before. This being the first guy to, that I knew anyway, yeah. it kind of sparked something in you, you know. Uh -huh. And then uh, next thing I knew, I had some time off the following year, that is 2013, the December holiday between 2013 and 2014. That nice time when nobody supervising you. <laughs> so that's when I decided I was going to give Renzoni a shot. I liked it. We started the, the plan with about 10 people mm. at my French class at Alliance Francaise and then I ended up alone. Later on, I, didn't, uh, I, was, uh, I was later to learn that this was going to be the norm for many of the things that I wanted to do. 
So if this colleague of mine goes back to Kilimanjaro. Now I could not go with him because one of us was just to stay behind to cover the mm. office if one is mm. mm. So he went to Kilimanjaro, uh, and then eventually I also had time off around 2015, and I had leave days to kill because if I had not used them before the end of the financial, I was going to forfeit them. Mm. So we had a random discussion in office, thinking about stuff to do only, and that's when it was like, you know what? You went to Renzori last time, so it's time to go to Kilimanjaro. Like, okay, more like a zombie following, you know, suggestions <laughs> from around. So that's when I uh, get in touch with a friend of his who I didn't know at this point, but who also becomes an integral part in the foundation of the club. A guy is called Abba. So Abba put the trip together and uh, found me a group of uh, people to move with. Mm. At that point, mm. I had gone through a number of uh, excursions that were not mountains, but, you know, fun around the country. And I had come to accept that disappointment from friends was going to be a norm. So I didn't even Many bother. Many planning trips and yeah. everything. So when I came to Kilimanjaro, I didn't even bother to look around for who would like to climb. Because I knew, you know, whoever I find there in the mountains, just, you know, Paul, go talk to strangers. It's one of the best things that can happen to you. So, and it didn't turn out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because he found me a group of Kenyans who are already mountain slayers. Ah. Yeah, so that's where the inspiration of the name comes from. And uh, they turned out to be very wonderful people mm. on the mountain and even off the mountain. They accepted me into their group when they really had no obligation to do that because they could have thrown me off considering I had never hiked with them. They didn't know whether I was going to slow them down. Uh-huh. This was someone they didn't know coming into the, their club to hike with them. So long and short of the story, mm. while we were on the mountain on Kilimanjaro, I noticed there were big groups of indigenous Africans on the mountain. Oh. Something that struck me as what? Because yeah. uh, like any other person, I'd always thought this is Mozungu stuff. Yes. Like as if Africans don't do don't have legs. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um but, so I asked them guys I see so many groups. I've seen a safari home group with thirty-five people. Kids. Wow. I've seen another all group. Going of, on the uh, yeah, all on Mount Kilimanjaro in just the six days were there. I think I came across about uh, four or five big groups of indigenous Kenyans. Wow. That, yeah. So I asked them how they do it, and that's when they told me they had so many tourism clubs in Nairobi, many of them hiking clubs. Uh, if I remember, one day I told me probably 200. I don't remember. So some of them are so small. You find that 10 people, others are 20. But the whole point is there are so many in Nairobi. So that's when the thought hit me. You know what? I think the best way to encourage more friends to get into this is if a club is formed, so it gives them a purpose mm. uh, to move towards and then maybe it becomes easier to motivate them to gather them into one thing and to so plan the trips yeah so while we're having that discussion um they suggested to me hey you know what uh, maybe you could form a mountain slayer as uganda and you know have this whole hiking thing spread around east africa who knows maybe one day it could be the world i like the sound of it because i'd seen uh rotary international mm. i'd seen harsh areas i know these are things i could describe as clubs or associations they're motivated by social cause sometimes mm. and, yeah. you know you've got people in the u.s in norway in uganda in tz all doing similar things 
yet they don't have to be in one place. Yeah. So I like the ring to it of, you know, the possibility of this happening. And I was like, okay, let me get back. So when I got back, um, discussing with my colleague in office is called Debo. Uh, then I talked to Abba, because Abba is a guy that I put the trip together. So mm. I was keen on giving him reports because I, I, I was a satisfied customer. Yeah. So he also encourages me and says, yeah, you know, let's, yeah, I think you should, yeah, you should, you should. And then I run into another friend at uh, Oasis Small who asked me why my face was peeling and my lips were chapped. And uh, I had trouble describing the battle scars. Because, you know, that's, that's a mark of pride because I've been up there. So, you know, why, why don't you come in and see what we can do? Maybe we can start something. So that's four people now. And then I found, uh, I went back to my Facebook there's a lady who had been on my case from the time I did Renzori asking about how she could go to Renzori and things. I didn't have answers mm. back then. But then I figured, you know what, maybe now is a good time to drag Esther in because she's been interested in mountains. I know this is the kind of person who might be interested in selling such a club. So we dragged Esther in as well. And then uh, there's a friend of mine who had added me to a group of astronomers didn't know we had such a club in Uganda, but the getting better. It's a group. Yeah, and it's a, yeah, it's a small one, but it's amazing how much information they have on their hands. Because these guys were even organizing uh, meetups, stargazing nights, and things like that. Wow. Yeah, and it, it was it was impressive. So it's interesting. When I got there, I talked to the guy I thought was their head. He's called Gazali or Gaz, and uh, I told him, you know. I see how much you love the cosmos. But when I was on Renzori, I noticed the stars were much clearer at night because it's so little light pollution yeah. mm. far up there, so you get a better view. And that was the opening line to try and get him into, you know, to that's sell that's him the, nice whole, one. the whole dream. So, mm. yeah, later on he would uh, kind of live to regret, but that's his story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, there we were, all six of us. Uh, sat down there was another guy i had just met maybe a few months earlier he's into branding he's called herbert mm. some people knew him as drywood others sape and uh, i think the people you meet mm. who just speak so well uh in for almost everything they say they're convincing to such a level that you think, you know, if I got this guy in, uh, he's going to bring something interesting to the whole mix and everything. So that's how we got the six of us to sit down one day, uh, held our first meeting, talked about it. The ideas were really refreshing. You could see people were able to get into something new, something outside of their comfort zone. Mm. So uh, we talked about it, thought about uh, places we could go hiking. Because one, we were starting from scratch. We did not know any hiking trails outside of the mountains. Mm. So it was going to be a journey of discovery. But luckily, somehow, everybody in the group seemed to be excited by the whole thing of going out into the unknown. So we're kind of feeding off each other's energy. Mm. And then uh, we put uh, a calendar together. We kicked off with our first hike in uh, Mavira Forest. Mm. And I remember on that hike, we had about uh, a total of 12 people. So the six of us were you know, somebody you know who you think might be interested. And from that day, 2015, uh, we didn't look back. We just kept growing in lips and bounds, lips and bounds, lips and bounds until where we are now. Wow. Yeah, it's a story of patience, a story of commitment. 
and uh, yeah, you, you've got to hand it to people who stuck in there when it probably didn't make sense, but they were getting by on, you know, the excitement of something new, you know. Yeah, it's, it's been a fantastic journey so far. Wow. So, Paul, <laughs> yeah. the mountain slayers, you move around, you hike around and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, share with me some of your best tourism locations you've been to in Uganda. <sighs> just a few, just a few, not many. Okay. You won't believe it, but... Mm. I find that the most difficult answer, <laughs> rather the most difficult question to answer about our history, mm. when somebody asks you some of the best places you've been, because mm. they are so, so memorable, in no particular order. Mabira was significant because it was our first time sleeping in tents, in sleeping bags, and just being out there in the wild and everything. So we had guys uh, in the excitement who had somehow managed to find air mattresses. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the excitement, somebody went and you know, popped the air mattress into the tent and everything and then jumped on it like poof. But announced to them, there were twigs sticking out from Mama. the tent. So the air mattress got pierced and then Ouch. Ouch. that was less than one. And then uh, the same trip we had, uh, we had a Kenyan, a Kenyan girl who, <laughs> who strapped a padlock onto her, her tent. tent. Yeah, because she was either scared of us <laughs> Security. or scared of the wild. I don't know which of the two. A padlock can help you in the wild, like how? I, I, I don't know, I don't know, because uh, I mean, a determined attacker would simply cut the tent and, and then, then get in. And then uh, it, it was... Yeah, that's the first time we had our first real adventure. Went uh, ziplining in the canopies of the trees and then went down to those uh, falls down there. Wow. Griffin Falls? There. Yeah, Griffin Falls. Yeah. So the whole thing was a totally new experience. We drove ourselves, stopped by uh, Najembe for chicken. Mm. Some of us uh, used, to th- used to classify all the road kill stops. And you know, we used to classify them under one name. Mm. If it's Ginger Road, it's Namojoro. If it's Masaka Road, it's Mbizinya. Mm. So we didn't even know that this was uh, Najembe, but we just kept saying Namojoro. So <laughs> all this was, you know, it's Blinding memorable and... because uh, it was one of those firsts, really. So you are seeing places. And then we had our first trip to Karamoja in uh, June 2016, I believe. Wow, I want to go there. Did yeah. you claim Mount Moroto? Uh, not at the time. We had gone to climb Mount Kadam and was oh. scanty on information because the people we spoke to had convinced us somehow that this was going to be a one-day hike. Like, you know, go up a few hours to the top and then come down. But later on, we learned that uh, what they meant was, I think these guys are going to get tired after a few hours and they can't come. Hey, without reaching the summit. Yeah, so the guides, the guides who took us were taking us through... Uh, a footpath used by villagers to traverse the mountainside because Kadam stands between it divides communities it's the community to the west and the community to the east so for them this is just a spawning convenience for which they just you know go up a bit the inside of the mountain and then down to the other end so this guy had the same idea so when we get to the crest of the trail that's when the guy looks at us and he's like there's actually no more train to 
So, like today? Yeah, guess so everybody, come on. We drove all night to get here, and then this guy tells us he's not ready. But you know, at, at that point, we're like, what can we do? There's nothing we're going to force him to do. So, we decided to make the most of the rest of the journey, and it turned out to be a blessing in this case because there was so much more happening. So, we drove on further uh, northeast towards Kidepo. There's a place where it's, I think, I don't know whether it was Kabong. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had a wonderful experience of pitching tents in the middle of the crowd. So you've got cows on one side and then the manyatas on the other and right in between. The ground was hard, it had been trodden probably over years by the cattle coming in and out. There was dried dung on the ground, but uh, somehow nobody seemed to care that there was dried dung. And I remember there were no toilets, so the first person to ask about doing a number two was told to walk as far as they she felt comfortable, dig a hole, do their business and cover up. Like, ah, okay. This is the way most of you gather. This is exciting. Uh, there was no water for a bath. And then we also learned that uh, people in that area, I don't know if it's happening, but they are so used to getting by on a single meal in a day. Yes, so it was kind of strange to us. So, and then uh, we had this thing where uh, we, they had a goat slaughtered for us as guests. Yeah, and then uh, we expected them to roast it, you know, on a spit, <laughs> this fire. And these guys got the goat and put it straight into the fire. Like, you're burning the goat because that's not the way we know how to roast. You don't put it in the fire, you put it above the fire. But, you know, the, 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 the kejong are different, so like, mm. okay, let's watch and learn. So when it was ready, you know, they chopped out pieces and stuff and then uh, gave us to eat. But many of the pieces we had, and that's a part of the story I skipped, were still attached to the height of the goat. Hey. Yeah, so if you fill in the blanks, that means they did not skin the goat. Intentionally to that. And it's the way they do it. Mm. Yeah, they did not skin it. So they simply cut it, remove the, the, the innards, uh, and then put it on the fire, fire with the, with the, with the hide still on. So we're chewing meat and hide. Yeah, but I think uh, we're too afraid to offend their sensibilities because uh, this is somebody being hospitable to you. So we all chewed on that hide. <laughs> I kid you not, we swallowed that hide with a smile on our faces. And I do not remember hearing a single complaint from any of us. Wait, yeah. Yeah, make me understand. Because me, I'm thinking, yeah. I was trying to think that maybe they're very smart, so yeah. they put it in the fire with a hide, so that maybe the hide that works like you see, like you see, like foil. Maybe. And then the meat gets cooked, will you enjoy the meat ready well, very well? The meat was ready. Mm. Yeah, and it didn't take too long. Did so. they like, put salt and everything afterwards? Do I remember whether there was salt? <laughs> were too excited by the whole thing because I don't think there was salt on that meat. But it's only now that I even remember because everything else around the whole thing, the whole ceremony of slaughtering the goat was symbolic. It was it was a, a thing of beauty because the guy lifted the goat by one leg and then got a spear. He had the precision of a Swiss watchmaker. A clean strike just the goat didn't kick around it just collapsed I think he went straight for the heart but the dexterity with which he did the whole thing was it was a marvel you had to catch it on video to believe it like 
these guys know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And then uh, they had a ceremony where uh, they removed the contents of the goat's stomach. Mm. It smells like feces at that point, yeah? Mm, it's been digested quite a bit, yeah? So it smells like dark, sorry. So, and then they had this thing where they were all fighting in line to have themselves smeared on the forehead with that dunk. And we learned that uh, it's a call to the gods that where one animal's life has been taken, mm. may many more. Yeah, the best thing we did was to ask because the many people who go to places and don't ask about the customs and just they assume they get, you know, they, they, irritated. Assume, they're like irritated and stuff. Like, can you imagine those guys doing this? You know, they're backward and everything. But I think that's a very unfair assessment to make. You always need to talk to people. To understand yeah. why. Talking to strangers is always a good thing. Find out why they do the things they do. Because it's always a story there. There's always a story. And so after that, we move further the next uh, morning to Kidepo. It was my first time there. Uh, it was the first time for many of our friends. Um, it was actually it was a July, mid July date, and it turned out to be our very first anniversary in Kidepo. So it was super cool to be in such a beautiful place. Uh, it was also my first time seeing lions in the wild after being to I think two or three national parks before that. So it, it was it was really memorable. It was memorable. Uh, after after Kidepo. I mean, in the same season, you've got Karamoja, no, sorry, Nyiragongo in the Congo, Mount Nyiragongo. It's an active volcano yes. with a lava lake in the crater at the top. It takes about five hours to go to the top of it. And this is five hours of being slowed down by the gates because I, I learned the trick with Papa Daniel, who was our favorite guide, was to stretch it out and make it feel like it's a long hike. So you take breaks almost every 30, 45 minutes. And the bricks are like 10 15 minutes. So, anyway, mm. the idea is to get you to the top, but you have to spend a night at the top to enjoy the views of the lava lake. Mm. Yeah, but what's the point of getting there? You don't see the best part of the, of the lava lake. So, there are like lodges around the. Mm, no, the they're top. all at, not at the top. It's, um, it's a cabin. It's a cabin at the top. Uh, I wouldn't call it a lodge because a lodge sounds like, bigger. You know, tourists would be paying for bigger, maybe a little bit more luxury. Mm. It's more of a mountain hut, really, mm. at the rim of the crater. And there's something about that lava lake at night mm. that just draws you in. The more you look at it, the more it, I think it hypnotizes you because you can. it's about maybe two kilometers down from where you are but you can feel a bit of the heat on your face mm. and yet you're so far high up the mountain it's very cold so you're being blown by the wind but you can also feel the heat coming from the lava wow. lake hitting your face and then all these thoughts are running through your head of what if this thing erupts and you know, we get buried in ash and burnt to death and everything but in, at that point we've already done our research we know that Niragongo uh, is the most monitored volcano volcanic mountain in the world because Goma City yeah. which is heavily populated sits right at the base of Niragongo. Across Goma City across the border 
from Goma City is the Randstown and Kiseni, and then we go to Lake Kivu, which has methane deposits. And uh, we learned that in 2002, or thereabouts, when that mountain erupted, the lava came flowing down at a speed of about 60 miles an hour. What? Yeah, and on the way to the mountain, you could see all the damage that it had left. Mm. The, the hardened lava rock and everything. So it had swept quite a number of people. And then it so it left everything in 2002? Yeah. Yeah. So oh. this lava ended up in Lake Kivu. Lake Kivu already has methane deposits. So if it's going to go and release methane deposits at the bottom of the lake, then you know you're looking, you're into more trouble. Then we also had that... Uh, um, you know, but this case could tell when it was going to erupt. It wasn't like sudden. There's always warning signs, mm. the rumblings mm. and everything. Water around, the springs around, old town hall, yeah, water and, and everything. You'd see plumes of uh, steam breaking through the tarmac at the airport. They told us at Goma Airport. So there were plumes of steam coming out of the ground, that sort of thing. So they knew the telltale signs. And uh, unfortunately, at the time, Eastern Congo, in that, that, that part of Eastern Congo was dominated by the M23 rebels. And when on the mountain, we even saw the motor shells that they left behind. Wow. It was a cool thing to look at. That's before you considered that these were merchants of death. But anyway, so these guys did not want to lose their power base, which is the people, because they the people. You don't have the power, so they forbid radio warnings mm. to the general population. Mm. They are about evacuating okay. early. Until I'm told, some of the geologists who are monitoring the mountain left the country and they're able to send out the messages when they go back to wherever they were from Australia and New Zealand. Uh, They're like, run, really, people run. Yeah, it was really a last minute thing that saved lives. Otherwise, I can imagine how much worse could have happened. So all these are stories that you get to learn when well, you're hiking. Yeah. And then the Nyiragongo has a special story about uh, Nyiragongo is the mother of Gongo. Gongo in local folklore was somebody, I think, whose head was cut off. So the mother is pissed off. The mother is the mountain, so she keeps on rambling. Yeah, that's why it keeps erupting. Yeah. It's still an active volcano mm. to this day. Um, so... You know, there's always the danger, but it's monitored, so you know people are going to be safe. After Niragongo, you know, I could go on and on. There and are many, um, <laughs> the Sir Samuel Baker Trail in Patiko. Fort Patiko? Yeah. Oh, there's a trail on that side? Yeah, there's a fort built there, yeah. yeah. So I've been to Fort Patiko, but I've not done any hiking trail or anything uh, of that sort. Uh-huh. There you go. There's a lot more to see. So we're able to see the place where he used to do his uh, workouts, jumping between big boulders and things like that. Just, we did not hike the entire trail because uh, it was quite long. So you've got the story of where he found the Arabs who used to keep the slaves. Mm. But he busted them and all this. There's a lot of stuff that were never taught in school mm. that we're picking up on this journey. Mm. And then after that, we went to the Aru Falls. At the time, they were still largely unheard of. But I'm yeah. happy to see there are now a popular thing on uh, the Facebook group to Lamble Uganda because mm. people now keep going there. It's, it's quite fantastic. They're spectacular. Yes. Uh, when you went there, was it dry or what season? Um, I think it was a dry season. So, so to Yeah, we managed to wade through the water mm. up to where the real falls are. They splashed around a bit and came back to, to Kampala. 
after a while is when somebody mentioned that you realized I was not eating dry fish, but I was eating bamboo shoots as well. Oh, this is the Malewa they keep talking about. So that was a point of discovery. We've had so, so many. Jealous. You've gone to uh, all these places. Yeah, it goes without saying, of course, our first trip to Renzori. Uh, and on that trip, I remember I was the only one that had been to the mountains, so all these kids were getting like an for the time. I wouldn't say expert, but uh, I just had a bit of history. I knew where the pain points were going to come from. Oh, yeah, so when people were crying at the beginning, you were like, you haven't yeah, seen nothing. And it was a real struggle for me to keep quiet about what was to come ahead. You know, you know something, but you can see people excited. They want, How is it called in movies? Like, when you... you no spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts. Yeah, you don't want to be that kind of person. So you also pretend you didn't know this shit was coming to Hawaii. But that was just the part of... The pretending was only about not knowing the pain that was coming. But when the real pain came along, uh, there was no pretense there. I also felt it. So it didn't matter that I had been there before. The pain level was still the same, but it was rewarding in the end. So on that mountain, uh, we specifically chose a trail because I was in I was in charge of planning it. So mm. I made sure we're taking a different trail from what I'd done before. Oh, something easier. Partly for selfish reasons because I wanted to see a different something part of the new. mountain. But then I knew, heck, it's everybody's first time, so it's going to be new to them. So where's the harm? Yeah. So I think for the first four nights. We were moving on a virgin trail. We were the first group to hike the Bukurungu Trail on uh, Mount Renzuri. Is it the one which was done by WWF? Uh, WWF has done a lot I know. of work on that mountain. A lot of work. I'm sure they had a hand yeah. in there somewhere. So we could tell the We're actually trail. organizing a trip there next week. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. Mm. So we could tell. Yeah, but we could tell that the trail was freshly cut. And there were no there were no huts on the trail, so at every night stop we were sleeping at in tents. I remember the first stop was called Kambeho, which we learned quickly meant a windy place, very cold place in the local lingua, and we really felt it that the night. Wind, eh? It was freezing. We had people who we did not drink, push down a shot or two. Of, uh, just to keep warm. Of liquor, just to stay warm. It was that cold, and then we moved on to the next camp. And then I think our third and fourth camps had bog, so you'd get out of the tent and you're stepping right into bog. You've got to be Why? careful not to drag it back in. This is a virgin trail, and those are the best spots you could find for us to pitch tents. So we also took in a mountain in there. Uh, the Porto Peaks was our first in there, and on the way back to and fro, actually. By that point, we had got used to the whole idea of jumping from one tussock. A tussock is about as high as his footstool, but between the tussocks, you have bog, so you don't want your foot landing in there because when you step in bog, or well, for bog, by that, I don't mean the slang for shit. Mm. Like it was in high school. Hey, what's bog? Bog is basically mud on the mountain, muddy ground. But it's more than the usual muddy ground it used to because it can go down a meter or something. So if you stepped in the softest sections, your leg would be going in all the way up to the knee. And you don't want that stuff seeping into your gambits because it's super cold. Yeah, so we're jumping from tassock to tassock. And at that point, I felt, I think this is a very nice leg workout. That was another memorable trip. Oh, my God. 
Kilimanjaro goes without saying because we've eventually did it as a club. Uh, it's quite its own long story. There's so many places we've been. Our first trip to the islands, Bukasa Island. Yeah. Not many visited because it's it is not on the. It's not on. Um, I don't know what sailors call it, but it's not on the sailing path of the ferry. Most mm. ferries will take you to it's, the it's, main it's, island. The waters are rough. Bugala, and maybe a few boats may go to Bulago. So this was a new area for us. We found some beautiful waterfalls here, Naziri Falls. Yeah, they say they are very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, about that. Uh, our second trip to Ka- to the islands, the same was the main island of Kalangala, which is called Bugala. Mm. And uh, on the trail, we went by a traditional shrine. Mm. I think again there. Yeah, because we wanted to learn. Something about resting. Yeah, but it, it's got some pumude. I'm not so sure, mm. but it's mm. it's got ties to Chibuka. The Buganda God of War, mm. and a number of them, and Kalangala, it turned out is I think the birthplace of the spirits of yes, Buganda. Yes, true, true. Yeah, so this was a learning experience for, mm. for us. Of course, we had some squeamish uh, religious people who would not hear of going in there, but those of us for whom it's about learning were like, no, I've got to go in there and find out what this whole thing is about. And guess what? The caretaker explained the tenets of the traditional religion and there was nothing demonic about it. So we find out that they have the same concept of God, the creator, Katonda. Mm. The word was there even before the missionaries came to Uganda. So they also had the word Dunda already, Guru was there, all these things were there. And when we looked at it, there were so many parallels to draw with the modern Christian religions, uh, let me say Abrahamic religions, because we're going to talk uh, Christianity, Islam, and maybe Judaism. Uh, I don't know much about the other two, but I can tell you, you could tell the hard priests in the religion, which is the same thing in the Catholic Church. We started to notice, maybe I should speak for myself, perhaps the others disagree, but I started to notice that there were so many parallels that uh, the missionaries had grown from. Nothing like the spirits want you to 
suffer, I don't want to pay for you. So it led me to question so many things and I realized at some point that I was going to have to unlearn many of the things that I've grown up knowing. Whether that, that I've grown up knowing because it gets in the way and you understand it so much. Yeah. So you cannot learn new things unless you accept to unlearn so many of the things that you don't understand. So that's another big lesson that I learned from that calendar hike. Ah, after Kalangala, oh, my goodness. Yeah, thank you uh, so much. Yes, Jared, all over. So, Paul, yeah. uh, any last words for our viewers about Mountain Slayers? Any plans, yeah. any prospects in like five, ten minutes? Uh, yeah, um, there's so much that uh, we want to do because, mm. first and foremost, our mission is to promote mountaineering and hiking as a preferred uh, alternative fun activity and we want to do that by showing people how safe it is, by showing people how affordable it is and by sharing all the stories so they get to see how beautiful their country is. Yeah. Part of our mandate obviously ties into local tourism because when you hike you move places many times, you could hike within the city, still fine, but you move places and get to see so much. So I always encourage people to move out of their comfort zones, yeah? You, 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 you keep going to the same bar, you, you're going to drink the same alcohol, you go to the bottle of Jamison, that's what you're going to talk about on Monday morning, and the other Monday, and the other Monday, but if you come and take a trip out there, go hike, even if you decide you want to go to visit the zoo, the game park, you're not going to hike, it's all right, but just get out there. Get out there, go see what the country's about, You'll be amazed what you find. You'll also be amazed how much you can do that you did not believe you had in you before. Mm. Yeah, I may have mentioned to you before that uh, outside of the first 12 people who attended mm. the, the very first hike, you, you may find that maybe 70% of those who came home later did not know that they had this in them, did not know that they could pick an interesting hike. They didn't know their strength. Yeah, they didn't know what was in their strengths and stuff like that. And then they just got out there, discovered, and now they've stood on the tops of Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Kranzori, Elgum, Yagongo, Mohavura, Karisindi, which is the biggest in the Virunas. So this is uh, even uh, the Abadeas, we've been to the Abadeas in, in Kenya. There's always something that you're going to discover, but it begins with your trying. Try something different. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, you you'd be surprised what you can find out there about yourself. Yeah. Wow, thank you, Paul. This was an amazing interview. I've learned so much. I, I want. I've, had, I've, I've, I've loved and been so jealous about those yeah. places in Nebi, in West.